Jesus Christ. And so that we would be very mindful and that we would pray. So I want to encourage you in that area. Um, We're in the book of Revelation. And as you're turning in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3, thank you for those announcements. Uh, On that backpack, buddy, uh, and the need of 10 by 3 or 15 by 2 or 30 by 1, uh, please, please, please see Matthew after service in the back of the room. He'll be back toward the left-hand side. Those blue sheets are there. And if you would help us with that, that would be marvelous. I know some of you uh, probably came with the expectation that we were going to be in the seventh letter, the letter to the church. Uh, or Really, it's actually a different address, that seventh letter. It's to the church of the Laodiceans, very different than the preceding six churches. But I don't have the pleasure this morning of uh, bringing an exegetical study uh, in the book of er, that letter to the Laodiceans. Pastor Matthew will be doing that next Sunday. I felt very compelled that we were going to be back in Revelation chapter 3 and the letter to the church in Philadelphia. And as we really look deeper into this church, I believe that there are five aspects for us as a body of believers to emulate that are in and contained within the church of Philadelphia. So will you read with me, or I'll read, you follow along, the church of Philadelphia, the letter to the church in Philadelphia, chapter 3, verses uh, 7 through 13. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write... These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. And I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. By way of reminder, the book of Revelation of the 66 books contained in the canon of Scripture, it is the only book that comes with a blessing to those who read it, those who hear it, and those who keep the words that are contained within it. So we are admonished to not only read, and when we read, really the admonishment is to read this portion of Scripture aloud. The reading it aloud does several things. Romans chapter 10 and verse 17 reminds us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We use a greater amount of our own personal 
sensory perceptions that God has provided for us. When we speak the word of God out loud, we also hear the word audibly and verbally, if you will, in our ear. And so we are using a greater amount of our sensory perception. And therefore, our faith, our faith, which the author Peter, the the, the apostle Peter tells us is that preciousness of gold, if you will. Our faith can grow. God help our faith to grow as we study through this book. Help us. And as hearers, it would be compelling to us to become keepers of that which is contained in this portion of Scripture. It's also the only letter, the only book, if you will, that comes with its own divine outline. By now you should have this memorized. I say it every single week. It is found in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 19. Write the things which thou hast seen, the things that are, and the things which shall take place shortly after this or after these things. And so he has, Jesus Christ himself has divided this book, which oftentimes is said is a difficult book to understand. And in many cases, it can be hard to understand. But there is a clear outline that will help us with our understanding. And so as we walk through, there are three sections. The first section is, write the things which thou hast seen. John, the apostle on the island of Patmos, for persecution, if you will, for the name of Jesus Christ. Under the reign of Diocletian, he was on the island of Patmos for some 11 years. And while there, Jesus Christ personally came to him and he saw the resurrected, glorified Jesus Christ. Jesus physically touched him. Look at your neighbor just as tangibly as your neighbor is right next to you. Jesus was right there with John on the island. That's powerful. He needed, and you and I need to know, Jesus Christ himself, he is in charge. He is alive. He is glorified. He is God. Hallelujah. So, John receives these this vision, the things which are. Then it transitions, excuse me, the things which thou hast seen. Then it transitions to the things that are. We move into Revelation chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 3. Seven letters written to seven churches. There are at least four applications of these letters, and I rehearse them with you weekly because I think it's imperative that we look at each of those applications individually and also collectively when we come to study the Word of God together. And as students of the Word of God, which I know each of us is desiring in a greater measure to become students of the Word of God, that we would look at these applications. Number one, these letters were written to a church in particular, a particular church, one of seven in Asia Minor, commonly known as Turkey today. There were more than seven churches, but Jesus very clearly identified, incidentally, in the order that these churches are laid out. It happened to be the mail route of the Roman Empire as well. Interesting to note. But in each of those letters, Jesus Christ himself had something very particular to say to that church. Then panoramically, he has, said, he has had something to say to all the church, the body of Christ, throughout all the age of the church from 33 AD to right now, this very moment. Jesus Christ has something very, very specific to say to the totality of the church. And this church, the church of Jesus Christ that's meeting at Hillside Christian Fellowship, 
Jesus Christ has something specific to say to us. These letters were like a report card to the church. I believe that he has something like a report card to say to us. How are we doing in the Lord? Then on a very, the third application, then on a very personal level, I believe that Jesus Christ wants to take and help us take spiritual evaluation of our own lives. We come to the communion table once a month, generally the first Sunday of every month, and there we are reminded, the Apostle Paul, when he is writing to the church in Corinth, he reminds them not to receive the emblems in an unworthy manner, but inspiring each of us to take really spiritual stock of where we are. How am I doing in my walk with the Lord Jesus Christ? How am I doing? And this is not a subject matter that we deal with lightly. This is a subject matter that requires of us honest evaluation. The Bible says that we ought to judge ourselves. And that judgment begins in the house of God. We need to rightly evaluate, how am I living for the Lord? Am I living according to the word of God? And so, given encouragement, if you will, and then fourthly, is not necessarily universally accepted in all the denominations, if you will, but there is the idea that these letters represent a prophetic picture characterizing the church over the ages, if you will, from 33 AD to present. And we would see seven epochs of church history. Now, here's something very interesting. And I won't go into the total detail, but I would certainly encourage you to come back tonight at 6 o'clock. We'll be going verse by verse through the uh, uh, letter to the Church of Philadelphia. But there are eternal motivations at the conclusion of each of the seven letters. But here's something very interesting. The last four of the seven letters, so from Thyatira unto Laodicea, those last four letters, each of them has a mention of something associated with the tribulation or the second coming, if you will, of Christ, the rapture. So here's, I believe, a picture that each of those last four letters has a beginning and then the next beginning of a church age, but not necessarily the end of that other age. In other words, the church of Thyatira, Thyatira, it began in about 606 BC, 607 BC, excuse me, AD, but it just has continued on till today. Does that make sense? Then you come to the next church, Sardis, and it continued in about 15, it begins in about 1500 and it continues on to this day. And then we come to Philadelphia and it began in about 1700 and it continues on to this day. And Laodicea begins on or around 1900, if you will, late 1800s, early 1900s, and it continues on to this day. So there are four aspects, if you will, of the church that are existing today. It's interesting for me to note that three of the four have aspects of deadness associated with them. Deadness. Church of Sardis. They had a name that depicted life and they thought they were alive, but Jesus himself said, but you're dead. You have a name that you're alive, but you're dead. The name Thaltyra actually has in its definition a grave upon a hillside. It has to do with deadness. Deadness. They were a polluted church. And Laodicea 
we, if you're familiar with the Word of God, you know that it references lukewarmness. And it really is the close of the epics of church history. So immediately preceding the closure, if you will, of the Laodicean church is the rapture of the church into heaven. We'll look at that in two weeks in uh, Revelation chapter 4. So, the church of Philadelphia, this is a church that Jesus has nothing negative to say. And I believe very firmly that this is a church that we, as a body of believers, we, as the body of Christ that is meeting at Hillside Christian Fellowship, Clackamas, Oregon, we want to emulate the church of Philadelphia. We want to have the things that were working in them, we want them working in us. Amen? Amen. A church that's alive. Hallelujah. And so we want those things. And so... I have multiple pages of notes. I want you to note that I'm actually turning to page three. (laughs) So we're bypassing page one and page two. And my son Matt says, amen. (laughs) So we're going to dive in. Really, there is is a power-packed information that is transformative information from the Word of God that I want to inspire you to come and hear tonight. It's a powerful picture of what's happening in the church so five philadelphian aspects if you will that's what we're going to look at the first is about their character the name philadelphia means brotherly love brotherly love the greeks had at least four words for love phileo is that one that is descriptive of brotherly love now when i think about brotherly love i think about a kind of love that enables us when we see one another we're excited to see one another there's a joy that is spurred on the inside you know when you see someone that you don't want to see you know, you're like, oh, here they come. <laughs> and we like kind of pretend like we didn't see them. That's not phileo love. Phileo love is really that embracing kind of love. I absolutely celebrate seeing my brother, seeing my sister. It's embraceive, not abrasive. It might be that a little bit, iron sharpening iron, so to speak. But even that, if there's that aspect, there's still a welcoming associated with it. But it's that kind of love that when you see someone, you will, like Angelica said, you'll do that fist bump, you'll do the high five, you'll do that hug, whatever it is that you express the joy and the delight of seeing someone. In the early church, they greeted one another with a holy kiss. If you've been to other nations... I've been all over the globe in mission work and some of the places that I go and I've been, people come up, they give you a hug and then they'll lay a wet one on your right cheek, they'll lay a wet one on your left cheek and they're just, that's their greeting. They are delighted to see. My prayer and our prayer as a eldership of the church and I hope your prayer were brothers and sisters that we would have that kind of love. And I think we do. 
Can someone say amen? I hope that when you're in church, you just feel the warmth and the embrace. Not only the warmth and the embrace of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, but the warmth of the embrace of God the Spirit who dwells in all true believers, all of us whose faith is in Jesus Christ, that produces in us a passion, a fervency of love. Fervency of love. It's a love that bears a certain sense of, I care about you. I care about you. When someone is talking with you, that we are paying attention, they get our eye contact, they get our body engagement, they get affirmation. I think I hear what you're saying. My heart aches with you. And we get that guttural sense of, Man, I hurt when people hurt, and I rejoice when people rejoice. I weep with those who weep. Do you know what I'm talking about? I I hope you do. If you're in the body of Christ and you fellowship here at Hillside, and you sometimes feel lonely, anybody here ever feel lonely? Just raise your hand if you ever feel lonely in the church. Don't be shy. Just raise them up. You feel lonely. Yeah, There's a number of us. We ought not ever feel alone. Do you know this? The Bible never uses the word saint. It's always saints. It's always plural. Because God has not made any of us to be an island. I want you to know that's a two-way street. That's a two-way street. We both have responsibility in that, don't we? Sometimes we feel like, boy, I wish someone would just reach out to me. Can I encourage you? If you've ever thought that way, will you reach out to somebody? Will you reach out to someone? Does that make sense? And in so doing, you become vulnerable and God God floods in that open door. And one of his children, oh, you may get hurt. Don't run. Don't run. Just know that God has this unity. And when we do that, we can experience that brotherly love. Well, I'd like to, I'd like to think that we, Hillside, has an element, if you will, of the Philadelphian kind of love, that brotherly love. So about their character, their brotherly love. About their commander-in-chief, Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. I think, first of all, that the church of Philadelphia, they allowed Jesus to be Jesus. They allowed Jesus to be Lord. Master, commander-in-chief, taking our marching orders from the Lord. Full submission to the Word of God and allowing Jesus to be Jesus. Allowing God the Holy Spirit to be God the Holy Spirit. Have you ever, like me, tried to do the work of the Holy Spirit? You may be aware of someone's sin, and so you try and like bring in a little conviction. How about we just love them and let God the Holy Spirit be God the Holy Spirit? We might speak the Word of God in truth to them in meekness, in meekness and gentleness, reminding them, hey, if we know a brother's in sin, we ought to be brotherly loving, right? The Bible says faithful are the wounds of a friend. We go to them. But here's the thing. We don't need to do, we don't need to dance about the subject matter and try and throw arrows of conviction. Let God convict them. And conviction comes from the Word of God, right? It's the Word of God that's living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. Not your words, not my words. Not my ingenuity, how creative I can be in trying to convince somebody that they're in sin. Matt, let the Word of God be the Word of God. And we convince and we, can, we, 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 we convey the truth and the conviction. 
the Word of God is living and active, sharper than that two-edged sword. It will penetrate to the dividing of the soul and the spirit. It will get to the core of the matter. God's Word always gets to the core of matter. Someone say amen. (laughs) I'm sorry that coffee just spilled. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. It also is the discerner of the motives and the intents of the heart. Do you know sometimes people are very confused about why they feel the way they feel. And sometimes if we'll just share the Word of God with them, it will reveal to them their own motives. How about you? Has the Word of God ever revealed your motives to you? Have your motives sometimes, maybe at least once or twice, been off base? Maybe flesh-oriented? Oh, am I the only one? Okay, good, I got some company. <laughs> yes, I mean, oftentimes our own motivations are flesh-oriented. And we need the Word of God to bring us back online. And so, Jesus be Jesus, the Spirit of God. Here's the character if you will, of the commander-in-chief. He's holy. The Word of God reminds us. He, the things, uh, these things says, He who is holy. Like the angels that cried out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy is the Lord. The Lord is holy. He is true. Someone say amen. In this world where we've come to a place of somehow having information based entirely upon relativity, that isn't true. Thanks be to God, there is an absolute. Oh, that was your opportunity. I got about, I got about a dozen. In this world of absolute confusion, there is an absolute. Yes, yes, when in this world, I'm probably stealing a little thunder, you go, you go to the church of Laodicea, how interesting that in verse 14 he says, these things says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Many would say, well that means Jesus had a beginning. No, that's not what it means, it's the origin of creation. The origin of the creation of God. The originator of God's creation is Jesus Christ. We have not come from monkeys. Jesus Christ is the originator of this world and this universe that we live in. Contrary to what is being taught, the Word of God bears truth. Thanks be to God. You know, when you're confused about whether something is right or wrong, I would encourage you, first of all, ask the question, is it holy or unholy? But you can go to the Word of God, and the Word of God will answer the question. It will answer the question, and it's the truth. It's the absolute truth. Absolute. 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 Here's a good answer. Because God said so. And He's God. And so He can say so. Amen? Absolute. Okay. He's holy. He's true. And here's, I love this. He's omnipotent. He's all powerful. He opens doors that no man can shut. He shuts doors that no man can open. Period. How many of us have ever tried to open the door that God has shut? (laughs) That is a futile battle. (laughs) 
Give it up. Sometimes no is a good answer. It's not always the answer we want to hear, but if we'll simply submit and receive it, God will cause all things to work to the good of those who are the called in Christ Jesus. Thanks be to God. Okay, so about their character, the church's character, brotherly love, about their commander-in-chief, even his character, holy, true, omnipotent, all-powerful. So here's, here's seven aspects about this church. Here's, I and mean, this is the meat. This is it. Seven aspects. I like the number seven. It's like a number of completeness. These are all letters with the beginning with the letter S. Their servitude. He says, I know your works. They were busy about the kingdom of God. They were serving. Jesus said, the greatest amongst you will be the servant of all. These folks understood serving. It wasn't about their own kingdom. It was about the kingdom of God, whom they represented. They represented the Lord and they served even as their master taught them to serve. Their sight. Jesus says, see, I have set before you an open door. See, they saw. They had sight. They had vision. The Bible reminds us in Proverbs, a people without vision perish, or a people without vision cast off restraint. Proverbs also tells us like a city whose walls are dilapidated or broke, are broken down is like a man who lacks discretion, a man who lacks self-control. And he, that scripture, without vision, cast off restraint. That's like a city whose walls are broken down, no restraint. They'll do anything. Listen. The church of Jesus Christ was not given liberty to go out and sin, but given liberty to live under the power and the authority of their master and chief so that they can live responsibly in the kingdom, pointing others to the power of God through Jesus Christ. Sight. Their strength. I absolutely love the adjective associated with this portion. He says it this way. He says, let me find it, uh, verse 8. I know your works. I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength. Little strength. Now, I will tell you, when I was playing football back in the day, it was kind of when the dinosaurs roamed the earth, when I was playing ball... I mean, the first thing guys would ask when we came back from summer, how much you benching? Oh, I mean, at least all the old linemen. That was like, old linemen, we were interested in how much can you press? So it was all about our strength. How strong was I? And so I remember coming back my junior year, and I was like, I had gotten to an all-time high. I was benching 410, and I thought, man, I'm the mountain wagon. I'm going to come in on the wagon and I get in, and my two roommates from the previous year were roommates again. And these guys are just huger than me. <laughs> I'm like, so, Roland, how much you bench? And he says, 490. And I'm like, that's pretty good. <laughs> how much you bench, Dave? Oh, you know. <laughs> anyway, it was all about our strength. How cool is it that Jesus identifies that the church of Philadelphia had little strength. I carry with that 
They were not self-reliant. Not self Listen, if you can do it in your own strength, your vision isn't big enough. If what you're believing for your family, you can do in your family, you're not believing big enough for your family. In your own life, in the life of the body of Christ right here at Hillside, if our vision isn't big enough, if, if, if we can do it in our own strength, it isn't big enough. It isn't God. I mean, every one of us, the, the, the accumulation of everyone in this room, we could come up with some pretty big ideas. But if we can go do them in our own strength, well, then there, there's probably missing a God element. Right? The just shall live by faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And those who come to Him must believe He is. That's where we, we must get to the place of believing. I believe that God can, because I can't. He can, I can't. God help us. Okay. Little strength. Not self-reliant. Holy Spirit reliant. Aren't you thankful that God is omnipotent? With God, all things are possible. How many things? All things are possible. How many things? How many things? How many things do you believe it? Come on. With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. We must believe. Their strength was little. Their stability. I love this. Their stability. Now, I'll tell you, I've been a coach for 12 years, and I coach offensive linemen. And the first thing we do when we coach offensive linemen is we teach them about their stance. You have to get in a stance. You have to set your feet at a shoulder width apart. There has to be a slight stagger so you have one foot forward, one foot back. The foot that's closest to the football is the one that's forward, and you must drop down to a 90 degree so your center of gravity is low. You stick your chest out and you have your hands ready to punch. Come on. Bring it on. Just not Byron. (laughs) All right. Here's the deal. Our stability is the Word of God. It is, there is no foundation that we can build upon except the Word. We challenge every person who attends Hillside to become a student of the Word of God. A student of the Word of God. That you would spend time studying the Scripture. We say five things about the Bible. We should read it. We should study it. We should meditate on it. We should memorize it. And we should obey it. Come on. We've got to get in our stance. We've got to have stability. And our stability will come only from the Word of God. Now, like the church of Ephesus, we can't focus so much on the doctrine that we miss that devotion piece. We must be in love with the Word of God. Amen? Amen. Okay. So, strength, stability, steadfastness. They kept His name. 
They kept his name. That's being steadfast. That ambassadorship, if you will. They had not denied. Believers deny the Lord in subtlety. Here's how we sometimes deny the Lord subtly. The Holy Spirit is prompting us, and we don't obey. That's that's a form of denial. No, I'm Lord, not you. I'll, I'll, I'll have my own lordship here, not yours. You can open up all those other doors, just not this one. And we forget that he's the one who can open doors that no one can shut, right? No, you can't have this door, Lord. He says, no, that's the very door I want. Right? We deny him subtly. Here's another way we deny him subtly. Remember that we're inspired. If, if we deny him publicly, he will deny us in front, of his, in front of his Father and the holy angels. If we acknowledge him before man, he will acknowledge us before his Father and the holy angels. We do it sometimes publicly, though. You know what I'm talking about. We're over by the water cooler. When the language goes south or the joke goes south, and you know on the inside of you, you're like, oh, here it is. If I laugh, I'm a participant giving my approval, if you will, right? Romans chapter 1 reminds us that uh, those who give their approval are also, quote-unquote, guilty. But here's the thing. We feel it. I mean, we feel the temperature rise. Here's where, like, oh, I'm just not going to laugh. Or I'm supposed to say something. I got to the point where when I was, I remember when I was playing football, because guys would use bad language all the time. I mean, just, you know what I'm talking about when I say bad language, right? Some four-letter explicitives that we generally don't say in church. I heard the F word one time in church. It was at a memorial service. (laughs) And I'm not talking about fire truck. Okay, anyway. I thought, well, that was the first time at a church. (laughs) I actually heard a guy share, and it was pretty interesting. But here's the point. Every time that guy started using bad words, I started just yelling, Hey, praise God! (laughs) Looking at me funny like, Well, I said, man, if you're going to use the language of your world, I'm going to use the language of my world! Unashamedly. Glory to Jesus. Hey, God bless you, man. Let me help you off your back since I just laid you out. Ah. In the name of Jesus. <laughs> so, stability. Steadfastness, keeping his name. Servitude, sight, strength, stability, steadfastness, single-mindedness. Jesus says, because you have kept my commandment to persevere. They were single-minded about serving. They were single-minded about pressing on through and having a tenacious spirit, single-mindedness. And finally, they were marked outwardly. Now, the Scripture tells us to those who are overcome there's going to be a mark upon them. There's going to be the mark of the name of God, the name of the city, and Jesus' new name. But here's something else they're going to have. He says, he says, hold fast that which you have so that no one may take your crown. They had the victor's crown. They had the Stephanos. 
crown, the wreath of victory. They had stood upon the Bema seat and the referee or the judge has awarded them victor. That's you and I. We have victory in Jesus. And we are now marked outwardly so that people can identify that woman is a Christian. She's like a little Christ. That man is a Christian. He's like a little Christ. That sister, she's a Christian. She's like a little Christ. That brother, he's like a little Christ. And you and you and point. You, if you bear the name of Jesus, let us be outwardly marked. Outwardly speaking, if you will. The Stephanos. About their contender, I'm just going to mention these real quickly. We have an adversary. The Bible tells us our adversary roams around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. His repertoire, his resume, he has come but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He is a, he's a thief. He's a liar. He's been lying from the beginning. He's demonic. The Bible tells us we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers, and authorities, spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Our adversary, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God, pulling down strongholds, casting down imaginations, bringing every thought into the obedience of Christ once our obedience is complete. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Your enemy is not your wife. Your, your enemy is not your husband. Your enemy is not your children. Children, your enemy is not your parents. Every conflict you have has its origin in Satan himself. And remember, Jesus reminded Peter that on his name, him being Lord, he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. Hallelujah. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Hallelujah. No weapon formed against us shall prosper. Thanks be to God. Let's not give the enemy any more ground in our lives. I use the example, Colossians chapter 2 and verse 15 reminds us that our enemy has been disarmed and defeated. Say that with me, disarmed and defeated. We as the body of Christ have to stop picking up his weapons and handing them to him and say, here, beat me with this for a little while. we got to stop that. And we do. We give him territory that Jesus won when he died upon the cross at Calvary, shedding his own blood. It is. We render the enemy effective in our lives because we give him weapons to fight against us with. When the scripture says no weapon formed against you shall prosper, calls for wisdom. It calls for us to be honest with one another too. You got a brother and sister who's talking to you and saying, stop giving these weapons back to the enemy. Here's some good advice. Stop! Don't argue. It's kind of, again, it's that losing battle. If we're arguing with truth, it's a losing battle. Let's listen. Listen to the Word of God. Okay. 
He's deceptive. This, the portion of Scripture here says about the Jew, th- those who are of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not. This church very particularly was dealing with uh, infiltrators into the church and they were claiming to be uh, true Jews or true believers and yet they were still under the old covenant. They were trying to bring in uh, things in the church, regulations and rules. And he says this, he said, they say they're Jews, but they're not, but lie. That characteristic, lie. You go to John eight forty four, talking about uh, Jesus, Jesus was talking to the Pharisees. He says, you're of your father, the devil. He says, when he speaks, he speaks his native language. He lies. And so this tell, this tell you what's, what's the source behind, if you will. And so our adversary, and he, he's demonic, he's deceptive. Colossians 2.15 reminds us he's, de- he's defeated. He's defeated. We have victory. Glory to God. Paul the Apostle in his letter to the church in Corinth, we have it recorded in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Who will save me from this body of flesh? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15.57. Jesus Christ, our victor. Come on. It's defeated. Finally, about their calling. He who overcomes. Our call is to be an overcomer. Hey, if you're living a defeated life, you don't have to. Thank you. If you're living a defeated life, you don't have to. We are the overcomers. Not in our own strength. It's in his strength. Greater is he. Remember that. The church is calling. They were called to be opportunistic. The door is open. What is an open door? It's an invitation. To what? Go through. Come in. Pass through. We have an open door before us. Let me say this from an evangelism standpoint. Every person you come into contact with who does not currently trust Jesus for the forgiveness of their sin, that is the open door. That is the open door. What if the church didn't walk past the open door but took note and stopped and walked through and engaged in conversation with the person who doesn't know the Lord, which you know and I know, they're hurting. They're hurting because they don't have Jesus. That means they have no peace because he's the prince of peace. They, They don't have true joy because he's the one who is the giver of joy. They don't have good counsel because he gives good counsel and only him. They're lacking. There's a void in their life and we have the very life to give. Can we have that Philadelphian aspect of communicating the gospel, the good news? It's good news. It's good news. If we put it in different terms, what if we could put our world into a different term? It's a two-way highway. 
Wide is the road and broad is the way that leads to death and destruction, and many enter through it. At the end of that broad road is hell. And there are flames that are never quenched, where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth, where the worm never dies, and it is eternal. And the other direction, diametrically opposed, opposite, is the narrow road, and narrow is the gate, and few find it. And if we could just see how many and who is driving down the highway. Some are running, some are walking, some are crawling, but they're headed the wrong way. If we could picture and we could see how close to hell they really are, I think we might run to the gate and begin to throw roadblocks out there. How can I stop? We'd get in front of them. Hey, stop! We'd be... I mean, I'd tackle them. (laughs) What's holding us back? I think sometimes we get confused about whose kingdom it's about. And we forget that outside of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, they're destined to a hell that is eternal. God, help us. The Philadelphian church, I believe they got it. You see, this church represents when the body of Christ began to go out massively. And there is a remnant now that is still sending, sending folks out. In fact, the missionary work of the body of Christ today actually in many cases is very strong in the remnant that is still following of that four letter category, 25% are the ones that have the reputation, really the love of God upon them in terms of what they're doing. And there is a group that is sending out still missionary work. And we should all be engaged. And that's about being about our Father's business. Jesus came to what? Seek and to save that which is lost. God help us. Okay, opportunistic. You're going to like this next one. They are obelisk-like. Obelisk-like. Here's the thing. They're pillars. The thing about an obelisk or a pillar, it stands. Number one, Matt, you said that. Uh, It bears a load. It's carrying the weight. I believe that the body of Christ should be carrying the weight even of those who don't know the Lord. We should be serving those on the outside helping to carry their load so that they'd see Christ in us, the hope of glory. So that pillar, it will carry weight. Here's the thing also. A pillar, in terms of carrying the load, it's also a supporter of the structure. Here's the thing. If you're part of the body of Christ, kingdom-minded people support support the kingdom. Kingdom-minded people support the kingdom. Thanks be to God. I love the fact that we are a part of a church that has a spirit of generosity upon us. We're in the strongest position the church has ever been. We're in the process of buying a facility that really is just going to be a shell for us to do more ministry. We're not about the building. We're about the church, and you are the church. You didn't come to church today. You are the church today. Amen? And that's what we're about. 
the building is going to help facilitate even greater amount of ministry. Right? But we're, we're buying a building and we have more resource physically in terms of finances in our, in our bank accounts than we ever had in the history of our church. That's something to celebrate. And it's the generosity and it's the blessing of God. It's the blessing of God. So we rejoice and we say, hey, thanks be to God. And I think we're a lean church. We, we, we do things, I think, very, very fiscally wise. And I think we do things very, very kingdomly wise. That's very, I mean, I'm thankful for our stewardship guys. I'm thankful for our eldership. They keep, there's an eye on that. And that's important. And we're doing things well. And so all that to be said, there, there's a support. And your support in the kingdom of God. And continue, please, please, please allow God. And as we begin to do this, there's a resourcing. And another way that we support in the kingdom is we intercede. We pray. We pray. We're a praying church. The power is not in the, in the preaching. It's in the message, the word of God. But the power is in prayer. The power is in prayer. And we all get to be a part of that. Amen? Amen. Good. Okay. So, obelisk-like. I got some other thoughts about that. They're anchoring, they're memorializing, they're testimonializing, which is a new word I just created. It's a monumentalizing, right? It's a, it's a monument. And a monument stands out. In a public place, a monument stands out. We stand out, I believe, and we need to do that. Okay. And then finally, they're overt. Again, they are walking as marked. We're outward and we're obvious. We should be unashamed of the gospel. Paul says, I am unashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation to all those who believe, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. Unashamed. Obvious. Is it obvious to those on the outside that you are a follower of Christ? I, I trust it is. These aspects, these five aspects, my prayer, our prayer, and I trust your prayer, is that we would reflect these both collectively as well as individually working in our lives. If you look at one of those five, I don't know how that's all up there. Maybe if they all come up, that's wonderful. But if, if, if you look at your own life introspectively, judging your own life, and you say, you know, of these five, not all of them, I don't have all these. I don't have brotherly love. Um, Jesus really isn't my commander-in-chief all the time. I think all of us could say that, right? I mean, we all need to repent in that area. Uh, their characteristics, servitude, sight, strength, stability, steadfastness, single-mindedness, the Stephanos, and all those pieces, if they're not working in me, in other words, if we ask Jesus, Jesus, would you be sufficiently satisfied with me in these areas, in a report card? Would I be an A++? Would I be a B-? Would I be a C? Lord, help us. I hope we're not a D or an F, all right? But in every case, we all have room to grow, right? And so we could say yes, yes, and yes. The contender, also your combatant, also your challenger. Remember, he's the one who's making accusation in front of the throne of God against the saints. Now, thanks be to God, we have an adversary, no, an advocate who stands before the Father and intercedes on our behalf, Jesus Christ, hallelujah. But if the enemy is gaining victory in your life... And he doesn't need to. Again, maybe it's just you've been picking up those weapons and helping him. Hey, it's time to just leave him, turn and walk away and walk in victory. Jesus Christ did not shed his blood upon the cross at Calvary for you and I to fumble and play around with sin. Me too. I mean, this is us. We ought not. Okay, 
about their calling. Are we overcomers? Are we opportunistic? Are we obese-like? Are we overt? All those things. If they're not reflected in your life to even your own satisfaction, let alone the satisfaction of the Lord, the steps are clear. I believe they're clear. If they're not, then do what's necessary so that they are. Does that make sense? Because for each one of us, it could be different. And that being said, why don't we stand? And let's go to the Lord. And let's pray. Did I go long again this morning? Guy, and it's warm in here. (laughs) Hey, you know what? I want you to know, I love you. We love you. And we, what I love about our family is we get to walk the walk of faith together. Together. We're stronger together. Come on up, worship team. Yeah, come on up. Thanks, Mike. Pastor Dennis is going to lead us in a chorus in just a moment, closing the service. I want to just say a quick word of prayer and ask God's blessing and that we would, we would not go from this place without decision in our hearts. There is a people who are hearers only of the Word of God. And then there are those who are hearers and doers. I pray today that we would be doers of the Word of God, that we would apply that which we have learned. Apply those things that the Holy Spirit may be revealing to us personally and to all of us collectively. And in that collective sense, if you see something about us as a fellowship and you you wonder, why do we do that? Or that's probably not something that we ought to be engaged in. I pray that you would help us because you're also eyes. And that you'd communicate that to us. And that we could reason together about those things and identify, Lord, where are you in this? And Lord, are you in this? Does that make sense? We get to do this together. And that's the beauty of the body of Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the example of the church in Philadelphia. Lord, our prayer today is that we, as the body of Christ, today, in Clackamas, Oregon, or wherever each of us individually resides, but collectively as the body here in this North Clackamas area, that these things we would emulate as the body of Christ. That we would know those words and that others would see that you have loved us and that we have loved you. So God be glorified, bless. Holy Spirit, in the area of conviction in our individual lives, in any of these areas, help us to dedicate our lives fully. Help us to walk in the newness of life in Christ Jesus. Father, we love you. We bless you. And as we close in song and Pastor Dennis' final prayer, God, may you be glorified. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name. And everyone said a strong amen. Pastor Dennis. Amen. Sing with me. So I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned
the church of Philadelphia, showing and displaying that brotherly love unconditionally to all around, Father. May we take these principles and leave this place with the joy of the Lord, and may we make an impact with those around us. We ask these things in your Son's holy and precious name. Amen and amen. Enjoy your afternoon.